When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 164, From Student to CSS King with Pratham. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be talking to Pratham about his journey, like the title suggests, from student to a CSS pro, and then we'll also be touching on his social media presence, mostly Twitter as well. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on our Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, Pratham has found his calling by diving deep into CSS and creating extensive handwritten guides on every CSS topic that he has learned. He has built a following of over 120k people on Twitter, and he sold ebooks, and he actually even got a job as a developer advocate at Rapid API. So busy guy, lots of stuff going on. We'll be chatting with him all about CSS and his journey to becoming the quote-unquote CSS king of Twitter. Let's cut to that interview right now. All right, everyone, we have Pratham on the line here. And before we jump into this loaded CSS filled episode, Pratham, what's up? How's your COVID life going? What have you been working on? What are you doing? How's it going? It's doing great. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, a little bit busy with my new job as I, as I join a new company, Rapid API as a developer advocate. So it's a bit of a hectic day for me nowadays. But yeah, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. Like, creating community on Twitter, interacting with other developers and doing the job alongside at Rapid API. So yeah, all good. That's awesome. That's good to hear, Pratham. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, well, you and I kind of had back and forth a bunch of times on Twitter. That's where we connected. Like with most of the guests recently, I'm sure everyone knows that. Uh, if you're not on Twitter and you're a developer out there, I highly recommend joining the Tech Twitter community. Uh, you can always reach out to me and ask me what's going on there and I can help kind of guide you through. But Again, thank you for coming on. I just want to jump right into this, really. I know, Pratham, you've been doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like You were going heavy into CSS, but I kind of want to ask you what your start of the journey was like. So when you were first getting into web development, like what were you doing before the web development stuff? And then why did you decide to go fully into web development? Okay, I chose engineering as my career. So back in 2017, I took an admission in engin- in India, in an engineering college where I chose information technology branch. So there was a programming language subject in my first year of college. At that point of time, I was completely new. I was completely new to all this stuff. I didn't even know what programming languages are. So there was a subject C programming language in my first year. I was so confused about all this stuff when I started, to be honest. But then as, as I further progress in my college life, in my engineering life everything went so easy for me because i started self-learning from here and there from the internet to be honest from youtube and other free stuff out there so i started with java java programming language i learned basic programming concepts for example like for loop if loop and stuff like this using java programming language and then i switched to web development and so i've been learning it for 
for two years as of now. Like it's a vast field. It's a never ending field. There are a lot of margin to improve, to learn new stuff out there. So I started web development in 2018 from a Udemy, random Udemy course to be honest. So, so yeah, it's, it excites me. Then I started with CSS, JavaScript, React and stuff like this. But the fact that I love CSS a lot because CSS is the thing that every developers or every non-technical people first see it in your website. So that's why I love to improve my CSS skills. I love to create some CSS art as well. So that's how it's all begin. How did you how did you make the jump? So or I guess why why did you make the jump from you know Java, which is you know a, a, let's say a desktop programming mm-hmm. language or like a you know an app programming language? Mm-hmm. Where, why did you make the jump to web development? Was Java just not doing it for you? You weren't a fan, or did you just see something about web development and want to go over there? Uh, yes. Interesting question. Like, as I mentioned, like when back in 2017, when there was a C programming subject in my college, I was completely noob at that point of time. I didn't even know what this is, all stuff is. So I just randomly took Java programming language just to learn the basic programming principles like conditional loops and stuff like this. Like all these stuffs are pretty common in all the programming languages that I, that's why I chose Java randomly because at that point of time, around four or three years ago, Java and Python are the two popular language. They are now, they're popular now as well. So that's why I picked Java over other programming languages. But once I've got familiar with the programming concepts, I wanted to switch to my career, not for, I don't want to learn Java basically because uh, Java is a deep field. Like core Java, you will not find a good job if you know only core Java because you have to learn enterprise edition as well and other stuff related to Java. It's a vast field. So that's why I tried out machine learning as well for two months, to be honest, but I'm not much good in statistics and mathematics stuff. So I dropped that plan as well. So it's like I didn't pick web development right away. I tried all the things. Not all the things, but I tried many things. And then I picked web development for myself because once I started with HTML and CSS, these two language, these two things excited me a lot because here you can visualize what you are doing, to be honest. Like you can create a web pages, you can create websites, cool websites just using JavaScript and uh, just using HTML and CSS. So that's why these two things excite, excites me because you can always visualize what you are doing. So that's why I switched to web development but then i learned javascript and it is where the all magic begins because like javascript is a kind of a brain kind of functionalities you can add it to your website or web pages or maybe projects so that's how it's all started and then html css and javascript are not enough to get a decent job that's why one has to learn some kind of framework or library related to javascript so that's why I started learning React around one year ago. And now I know a lot of stuff related to web development, like API developments, React, JavaScript, and stuff like this. So that's how that's why I switched, because uh, I wanted to try more options for me. I tried machine learning. But as I mentioned, that I'm not much good in mathematics and statistics. That's why I switched over web development. Right. That makes actually a lot of sense. I, I like your take on the fact that like just knowing Java 
is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's possible, like it's possible that you can f- get into the right spot or something like that, where someone can bring you up. But you're totally right that like you have to learn something on top of Java. So whether it's Android development or uh, enterprise development stuff, like there's a lot of different paths that Java can take, and it's not a very clear indicator like what path to take to actually find a job. Whereas when you get to exactly. web development, you're like, oh, I can mm-hmm. build a website, like a full website with just HTML and CSS. And that in itself is kind of a skill and that's a marketable skill. Uh, I mean, you, yes, you, like it, it's a little bit more difficult to find a job that just relies on HTML, JavaScript and CSS nowadays. You're right. There is a lot of exactly. people looking for React, looking for Vue, looking for stuff like that, looking for a framework on top. But there is absolutely a way for you to monetize your skills right away. Because there's so much need in that HTML, CSS way. So I can see why like you were drawn to it, that direct path to, to a job, that just that, that immediate impact that you make. You write an HTML and a little bit of CSS, and all of a sudden you have something on the page. Whereas with Java, you're like, oh, you know, I've written a for loop. What does that really output me into the console, I guess? Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's not as direct. It's not as easy to relate to, I guess, when you're first, especially when you're first starting out. But it's good to see your progression through the through it all. Because I think a lot of people think when they're first entering mm-hmm. the field that they have to pick one language and be like, that's it, this is my language, I'm going to stick with it forever. It's totally not the case. You can try all these different languages. The most important thing, like we always say, is understanding the core concepts. Like if you understand the mm-hmm. basic structure of programming, HD, like uh, for loops, Java, like if, if statements, like switch cases, you know, all, all those different basic constructs, then going to a different language isn't that big of a deal. Obviously, there's still some ramp up. But Regardless, great. That's a great point. Now, I just want to exactly. circle back a little bit. So, when you were mm-hmm. doing your HTML, CSS, and you said that like that, like really jumped out at you, right? Like the, the when you started to be able to make like CSS art and the HTML on the page was actually being like really like looking really nice and all that. Why did you then take that concept of like, hey, I really like CSS? Why did you fully dive into it? Because I know on Twitter, just for the audience. When I first joined, yeah. Pratham was going like crazy on Twitter because he, first of all, he was growing and he was providing these really in-depth handwritten guides on CSS. Mm-hmm. So there must have been a point for you where I was like, you were like, hey, this is a, there's a, you know, there's not enough content on CSS uh, and I, I kind of want to fill that gap. Like there are a lot of related modules related to CSS. Basically, we can't say that there are not enough content related to CSS because CSS is, is a deep styling things. Like there are a lot of topics to learn. There are a lot of topics to cover. And as I mentioned that these programming stuff, there are a lot of, there are always some margin to improve your skills, to improve yourself. So, so I guess there are some, there are always something to cover in CSS because it's a deep language uh, and not even just CSS. Like we can cover preprocessors, some kind of frameworks as well, like Tailwind and Boost up stuff like this. So. Yes, I created some kind of a handmade note using CSS. As you mentioned that anyone can monetize their skills. I monetize my CSS skills, to be honest. Like I launched the ebook as well on my CSS cheat sheet and that ebook, I launched it about four months ago and it's doing really great nowadays as well because people know me by my CSS skills and that's what an online presence requires. Like you want to build some kind of a community where community members know you by your skills. So that's how uh, I grew my community on Twitter by just sharing the in-depth CSS resources, for example, like handmade cheat sheets and not just by handmade cheat sheet. I often share some kind of a CSS and 
CSS related tips and tricks, uh, fully fleshed threads, for example, like introduction to box model, introduction to flags, grid, so, and stuff like this. So there are a lot. There are always something to cover. There are always some topics that your uh, community, your followers want to see from you. And that's that's how I fulfill my uh, requirement of my followers because I often get some DMs, some replies, hey, Pratham, please cover uh, this particular stuff for us in a thread or in a cheat sheet. And I often try to cover cover them because that's how you can grow. You need to build a strong trust by your audience. And that's how you can uh, build a strong community on Twitter. It's not it's not all about just gaining followers. It's, it's all about uh, gaining engagement because I know many accounts out there, not just only Twitter, but other social media platform as well who have around uh, thousands of followers but only a few engagement but i have over 100k followers and still yet i have around 82 percent engagement to be honest so that's how you can build engagement is an important thing not just the followers count yes so yeah anyone can monetize their skill it's all about building a sh online presence just by following one topic mm -hmm. that's that's good advice. <clears throat> That's really good advice. I think like you, the mindset that you had that you were like, hey, I really like the cross section, right? I really like CSS and I see that as something that I can provide to the community for free, at least initially to, to be able to gain the trust and the following and then be able to help people as much as you can. I think that's the cross section that people have a hard time getting to in, in myself included, honestly, like if, I mean, we're, we're all like, we're, we're about podcasting and stuff like that. So we have that kind of cross section, but we, I also have a hard time being like, Hey, I only want to talk about Vue.js or JavaScript or something like that. I like to talk about other things, but you went fully into the CSS and it definitely played well, like huge dividends for you. So that's a really good model for people to follow. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to focus on everything. In fact, it's kind of better to centralize, but I just want to take a second to go in and talk a little bit of CSS talk with you because I think it would be bad for our you know audience if we didn't have a, ba a back and forth on CSS. And I want to hear your thoughts on some of the CSS topics that Matt and I have conversations about. So one of the things that Matt and I talked about recently was if we were learning CSS right now, I don't know if I would personally learn box model first. I don't, I, I feel like I would probably just jump right into flex and grid. Like before, when we were first starting out, just to give some background, box model was all the rage. Like the flex was kind of supported. Grid was not supported at all. So we definitely both learned box. Um, but back and forth, Matt and I at least have this argument where like, I think Matt, you're, you're on the side that you would learn, learn box model right now. I'm on the other side. So I'm curious, Pratham, what's your thought process on that? Well, like box model, I can say that it's a, First and foremost concept everyone should have should learn if they are going to learn CSS because like on a website, everything is a box, nothing else. If you ever gonna inspect over an element, you can say it's just it's just a box, nothing else. Also, the box model covers most important topics of CSS, not just the CSS, but entire web layout, for example, like margin, padding, content type, and stuff like this. So also border. So these are the some important stuff and some basic stuff we can say everyone should need to learn if they want to style their website decently. Like it's a beginning stuff and it's a first and foremost thing because like if if we ever gonna visit any website, everything is a is a box, nothing nothing else. So that's why I guess before jumping onto uh, advanced topic like flex and grid, as you mentioned, 
if you if we directly jump onto this kind of a topic then this can confuse us a lot because there are a lot of concepts that can help us in the grid while learning grid and flags if we are familiar with the box model because like for example let's take a property of uh, in a grid concepts grid gap so it's all about uh, making some kind of a gap between grid elements so if you are not familiar with the box model then you might get confused that what can what is this spacing coming from so these these this spacing are nothing but the margin so that's why box model is an important concept everyone should have to learn if they are going to learn css it's a first and foremost topic we can say not first because everyone can learn about basic color and background stuff when they started with the css but box model is an important concept to be honest because as i mentioned that everything is a box so it's good to know have some kind of a decent knowledge about what margin is what padding is and what kind of a thing that they will going to impact on an element for example margin will not going to impact on your element it will just a spacing it's invisible but padding will going to impact your element because it will uh, create a space between the boundary and the main content of your element so so if you don't want to get confused if any beginner don't want to get confused then then i think box model is the first thing everyone should go go for I 100% agree. I 100% agree with that, especially on the, especially on the the padding and the margin side. Like that was going to be what I was going to jump in and say too. Is is that, um, with the box model, it's like it's so important to know, padding, margin. You know what's the width and height. You need to know those concepts because you need to know like nor like in in the. In the real world with layouts, half the time you're like, okay, something's pushing this thing to the right. What is it? Is it padding? Is it exactly? Is mm -hmm. it the width of this thing? Is it the margin that's pushing it? And I need to also usually standardize what your layout does. Are you pushing things away with margin? Is it easier to do with padding because you're doing some sort of like hacky thing? Do you need more padding, et cetera, et cetera? So it's like really critical to get that skill down. And then the flexbox the flexbox skills and the grid and all that stuff should be used sort of to lay those boxes out, if you will. That makes sense. I think, okay. Another follow-up question to that. Would you learn centering? Cause like when we first started out again, Matt and I started out like seven, seven or eight years ago. Now our centering a div, for instance, was a little bit of a hassle. It wasn't as bad as people say it was like people, people equated to like, you know, mastering, Integra integrals and calculus and stuff. It wasn't that bad. Let, let's be serious now. But it was a hassle. Mm -hmm. Like you have to sometimes calculate heights and stuff like that. Anyway, do you think there's any reason that someone should learn how to just center a div using the old old school methods? Or is it okay to then like understand the basic concepts of box model and then move on to flex and grid for centering? I, I think just understand the basic stuff is like like centering a div or centering an element is a tedious task in CSS to be honest because there are a lot of method of centering a particular element like for example if you are using grid then there is another method if you are using flex then there is an, another kind of a method always also you need to make sure that if you are centering a div vertically if you are using grid then you you always need to mention a height as well so that's why centering a particular element is always a hassle and confusing. Because everyone know that there is a property called place content using this one property, uh, we can center a div. Everyone knows about it, but I think 50% of the developers didn't know that we also need to mention height if we are using that particular property. So these kind of a stuff are interrelated. 
that's why centering a div or centering a particular element is always a confusing task in the CSS. I think that's why most developers are talking about this in a fun way that they always need to Google that how to center a particular div. And to be honest, I, I also always need to double check that if I'm using grid, then how can I center a div? If I'm using a inline block element, for example, display inline block, then how can I center a div? Uh, if you are using inline block, then I think margin auto property can make the job done for you. But if you are using grid, then I think you need to mention height and then you need to mention place content center. So there are, I think, seven and eight methods uh, to to center a div if you're using different kind of a layouts. That's why this kind of a stuff is uh, going to learn this kind of a stuff like eight or ten basic tricks that how to center a div. Then uh, it will simply confuse you or maybe you can burn out. So that's why I suggest you do switch over to the other modules of CSS. And as you progress further into the topic and further into the CSS, you will eventually get to know that how to center your element or div. So it's not a big deal. It's quite confusing. But again, it's just a matter of practice and writing more and more code. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I think like I was saying before, like, hey, maybe you should learn the old way or of doing it or whatever. But I, I totally disagree with that method. I think you should use the whatever method is easiest for whatever project you're working on. That's usually how I approach any project. Just using complexity for complexity's sake is probably not going to be the case, but not going to be the way to go. But yeah, like again, like you said, centering a div can be really complicated. Um, so it's a good idea to go through and learn other stuff and then use centering when you actually need to center and stuff like that. Don't, don't go, don't go out of your way to be like, Hey, how do I center a div eight different ways before you even move on? No, like you'll, you'll figure it out. Uh, and you'll, you'll use the method that's like, that's right for you. If you're using Flexbox, you'll use the, you know, grid, uh, align item center or whatever, or justify content center. You'll, you'll, you'll figure that out as you go. I like, again, kind of want to bring it back a little bit where you said, you sometimes have to look it up yourself. Like, I mean, you're the CSS king, you're the CSS master, and you have to look it up. We always propagate, like we always promote the fact that learning syntax and just memorizing things isn't the way to go. Like that's something that's not something you should focus on. If you can, that's great. Hats off to you. But if you have to look something up every once in a while, even if it's something you use on a pretty, pretty consistent basis, it's not a big deal. All the resources are available there. Rely on those resources. Like you can always look up inline centering. You can always look up how to how to center a div in Flexbox. That's always going to be there for you. You don't have to go out and memorize it. If we're looking stuff up all the time, you can look up stuff all the time too. Don't be afraid to Google. But... <laughs> Thank you for that, uh, Pratham. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing currently with CSS. So which display methods do you try to reach for? Uh, is it like, you know, Flexbox? Is it Grid? Or is there some sort of combination? What, what do you usually do? Okay, so yeah, so yeah, I guess a sort of combination can uh, make the job done for me. Like uh, Grid and Flex are two different things. Like the thing that you can achieve using Flex, you can achieve using grid as well. But the thing, the layout that you can achieve using grid, you can't achieve using flex. I mean, you can achieve using flex as well, but the, the process uh, may be super complicated. So that's why grid grid is a kind of a, a little tricky as compared to flex. But the things that grid provide us, it's super useful. Like you can create 2D layouts using grid layout, but you can't create 2D layout using flexbox. So that's why I always prefer grid over flex. Flex is, I guess, uh, outdated not not outdated but uh now as we have grid so why why we need to use flex to be honest in my my opinion because like 
the one thing I can say here, this flex is easier as compared to grid. That's why most people uh, prefer flex over grid. But grid is not as tough as it sounds or it looks because it's it's all about just a few extra properties using which you can uh, create your layout as in two dimensions. So grid is best suited if you're going for a 2D layout or if you have a particular layout in your mind. But if you don't have a particular layout in your mind, then you can use go with flex because it's kind of a simple 1D layout you can make using flex. So use grid when you have already have the layout structure in mind and flex when you uh, just want everything to fit basically. So, so yes, I guess grid is my choice over flex because the things we can achieve using grid, we can we can't achieve using flex. Also, the the layout that grid provides us looks super beautiful as compared to flex. And you can create, and you can create basically lots of great layouts using grid. So that's why I prefer grid. But uh, I think most developers or most front end developers use flex in their parent layout and use uh, no no use grid in their parent layouts and use flex in their child's layout. This is a tradi typical tradition, I guess, in the CSS development, but this is not a hard and fast rule. You can use a single layout or you don't even use a layout if you are if you want to create a simple web app. That makes sense. Honestly, yeah, that, 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 that paradigm of like using grid and then Flexbox for the internal layouts sometimes works actually really well. It, it, it depends on if you're like an example that I always bring up is like uh having a bunch of posts right like if you're if you have a bunch of posts showing up on a page left to right in a row you can use flexbox for those posts because they'll eventually like flex and flex it down but if you're if you're if you need structured layout there's no reason not to go grid at this point in my opinion yes exactly like you can use flex if you have a same uh, if you have a different elements with same height and same width but if you have a different element with inconsistent height and width then i think grid is the way to go also a good point actually and that happens quite often if you have like different size cards one thing i find yeah, too is if you and like you can argue against this but like one thing i find is that with grid i find grid to be easy to set up relatively but harder to fix than flexbox 90 percent of the time if something has gone wrong let's say if if it's working on all device sizes but we get down to smartphone and my css grid's all screwed up it's harder for me personally anyway to find the issue and fix it. Whereas with Flexbox, probably due to my experience with it, my amount of time me having used it, I just kind of go, oh, it's probably this. And it usually is, you know, it's, there's too much padding or something with, with grid. It's like, oh, there's too many rows here or this and that. And I got to, I seem to like mess around, and then I like fix it. And then it's broken in another, in another layout. Like, do you see, do you find that to be true at all? I guess exactly. Uh, your point because like in grid there are a lot of many other properties that we have to consider like when we, we are creating 2d layouts then there are a lot of th there is another set that we can use to create a 2d layouts that's why fixing the layout using grid is a bit difficult as compared to flex because in flex there are just few properties to be honest not many because flex we can't create 2d layout using flex so properties like uh, uh, that give us the power to create a 2D layouts, uh, it, it doesn't exist in the flex layout. So that's why the fixing the layout using grid is a bit difficult. But again, to be honest, it's it's a matter of practice. 
it's uh, getting used to it i use a grid a lot in my personal projects and sub file creating some kind of a css arts so debugging a grid layout for me is not much difficult because because i'm used to it but if anyone give me a task of debugging their flex layout then it can be difficult for me because i'm not used to flex too much because i use grid so i think it's just a matter of getting used to but again there are a lot of properties that exist in grid but not in flex so that's why grid is a little bit harder as compared to flexible box layout yeah that makes perfect sense actually uh yeah so that's that was i think that was a great conversation between grid and flex and i my, my personal opinion is yeah like I choose grid over flex nowadays, and I used to be very much the opposite where I would always use flex, but I, I kind of suck at layouts. Everyone knows that. Um, and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm in a learning stage with layouts. I'm more of a JavaScript developer, which is why this conversation is so fascinating to me. I, it's, it's interesting how in each part of web development, we can have an intense conversation, even if it's like just HTML, right? Like maybe we're not HTML experts, but we can probably have a whole rabbit hole conversation with just HTML. And then we can have a lot of these rabbit hole conversations with CSS because there's just so much to cover. Now, with that, what do you think is the hardest concept for people to grasp in CSS? The hardest part, when, when I was learning CSS, I think... I found CSS positioning layout is the hard was the hardest part part for me because there are a lot of confusing about relative positioning and absolute positioning. While learning absolute positioning, you have to make sure that your element is positioned relative to your to parent body or relative to the uh, closest ancestor body and stuff like this. But while using relative, relative positioning is comparatively easier than absolute. But again, absolute and static and fixed, like there are a lot of uh, properties, value, uh, positional value in CSS, like relative, absolute, fixed, static, and stuff like this. So I guess we uh, we can't use static and fixed that much, but relative and absolute are widely used properties in CSS, position properties. So these these two things confused me a lot when I was learning CSS, to be honest, because like we there are a lot of things that we had we need to take care for example if you are making an element absolute then you have to also take care that it is absolute to the closest ancestor or the ancestor you want to make it relative so this kind of stuff you always need to make sure whenever you are working with the css positioning the other thing to note here is that css you anyone can break their entire layout very easily if they are using css positioning stuff because for example if you make any uh, element absolute then it will simply uh, going out from the html flow so that's why you always need to make sure that your html flows will remain intact while using css positioning things and stuff like this or you also need to make sure that about responsiveness of your website because responsive web design is the most important thing nowadays because people are view your website on millions of devices so that's why while working with the css positioning especially with the absolute you always need to make sure that your web page keeps responsive to the various devices. Also, you don't want to dis, uh, take your element out of the HTML flow so that it, it is not visible on the screen and stuff like this. So that's why while learning CSS, the thing 
CSS positioning, I found it very difficult and trickiest. Not difficult, but I guess trickiest thing in the CSS. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. Honestly, nest the nesting of relative and absolute positioned elements is something that still tricks me up to this day. And even like even though like there there is some crazy stuff that you can do with CSS, like transitions and animations, those are difficult. But the thing is you don't use those on a day-to-day basis. You use those when you have to, unless you're like an animation developer or something like that. But regardless. Exactly. Yeah. Also, but, one point to one point I wanted to add here, like whenever you will do some kind of an animation in CSS, I think you will probably gonna use a framework because animation can simply break your things. Also, it will make your website slow. So that's why whenever developers use animation on transition, they they prefer library over a pure CSS. But if you're working with the CSS positioning, then I think you need to write. Uh, a pure CSS code, you can't use a library. You you can use a library, but I think most developers prefer writing CSS code by their own if they're working with the CSS positioning. So that's why animation and transitioning are important and difficult modules as well. But they're not much difficult because you need, you don't need to take care about the nested nested elements and stuff like that. There are just a few properties that you need to remember. But in the CSS positioning, you take you need to remember a few properties as well. Also, you need to take care about the nested stuff like you mentioned about the closest ancestor and stuff like this. Yeah, I think I think you're, you hit it spot on there where like with animation and transitions, a library can really make those things a lot easier for you because if you don't use a library, then you really have to get into the nitty gritty to make sure that that animation is going to be efficient, not going to slow down your page and it's going to look good. Whereas a library will handle exactly. all those things for you and makes it, like kind of like a one line thing almost if you need to do it. So it makes it a lot easier. So you're right. Positioning is something everyone has to deal with on a consistent basis. No matter, even if you're using a framework like Bootstrap or Tailwind, you're definitely going to be dealing with positioning because that doesn't kind of take away the positioning part. It makes some stuff easier for sure because you can take some pre-built components or use some layout container structures. But whenever you have absolute positioning and relative positioning, that everything's thrown out the window. You're, you're in it. You're in the weeds. So that's a really good one to bring up. I totally thought you were going to go with animation and transition, but the position element is for sure a really difficult task, a really difficult uh, skill to master. Um, exactly. Yeah. So with that, is it? do you think it's possible to master CSS? Like, is, is that a thing that someone can do? Or is it something that you just kind of like, you're constantly learning, you're constantly getting better at, and uh, you're just using the stuff that you need to right now? and moving on to something else later? Uh, interesting question, <laughs> to be honest. Like mastering CSS, like CSS is not as deep as JavaScript is, to be honest, and other programming languages are. CSS is not a programming language, so you can't do some kind of a conditional statement and maybe some kind of a thing like that, complicated programming logic. But yes, like mastering CSS, CSS is not easy as other things are. But there are limited modules in CSS. But the thing is, all the modules are trickiest. Like in in every other module, you need to learn. You need to remember some few small small concepts, which can make the that particular concepts a little harder. So that's why mastering CSS. Even I'm doing CSS. I do a CSS a lot, but I'm I can't say I'm master in CSS. Whenever I was working with some kind of a 
animation or transition, I always have to take look at the Google or MDN docs or W3 docs to write some kind of a code. Because there are, as I mentioned that there are a lot of concepts, so everyone can easily forget that while when to use what concept, what kind of a concept. So mastering, I'm not sure mastering, mastering is not all about just memorizing properties or memorizing code. It's all about uh, uh, understanding the concept effectively so, do, so that you can also teach that particular concept to someone else. This is the definition of mastering in my opinion, to be honest. So I think I can teach other CSS modules to some other developers out there. I can, but the thing is, uh, I also ha have to look on Google whenever I was writing some kind of a CSS code, some tricky CSS code, for example, some kind of a CSS positioning stuff. I have to look on Google whenever I was working with the CSS absolute positioning. So I'm not master, but yes, it doesn't matter that how much skills you have. I believe that programming is a deep field. So there is always a small margin to improve and everyone should try to improve their skills. That's what I'm also doing. Like I do a lot of Googling. I do read a lot of articles, see a lot of YouTube videos just to improve my skills, not just CSS skills, but other programming skills and other skills as well. So yes, mastering, I, I don't think so. Anyone can master a programming language or a web development field because these, these fields are so, so vast. But yes, but one can definitely try to improve their skills constantly. So it's all about improving constantly. And if you're improving constantly, then you are, of course, a master. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. That means I'm a master. It's good. It's good. You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> now, hang I'm on a, a minute here. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly improving and I'm Googling everything. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think like because web development is such a rapid like improving field like we're getting new features we're getting new stuff put in i think css is getting some new features i don't know if it's soon but it, it there they are being built being built in there's and there's some complex stuff coming in from what i can see uh, i i don't think it's something you can just kind of sit on your laurels master and just move on like i don't think you can stop learning so being a master yes it's depending on the definition of what you think a master is i like your definition of can you teach it can you take like can you teach a whole class on it can you write the lectures um and that <laughs> makes you a master maybe maybe you are a master at that point uh, who knows but regardless it's kind of a dumb question i kind of threw it out there just to generate a conversation i'm just being be perfectly blunt with it i don't think you you need to focus on it i think you need to focus on exactly what you said pradham which is becoming better and constantly learning because in our field if you stop for you know six months to a year you're going to be behind and it's just the it's just the reality of it you can still do some work i'm sure you can still be fine if you're behind like it's you don't have to be on the bleeding edge of everything that's not what i'm saying but if you just cut like make a cutoff point like ah, i'm good enough it's going to affect you negatively you need to apply your skills you need to start you need to keep learning if you're just starting out there know that like as you're learning this is what you're going to be doing like this as you work you're going to be learning as well like you're never going to get to the point where you're like oh i'm a master now i can finally apply to a job no that's not going to happen you're going to get to the point where you're a little bit more comfortable with it and you're going to go to an interview and can be able to answer some questions that's it that's going to be your thing and then you're going to get a lot better once you start actually working on it with that though is there anything you change about css so as you as you've been working with it a ton over the past couple of years now is there anything that just like kind of pisses you off a little bit? 
Mm. Uh, one thing that I can change about Caesar, it's an interesting question to be honest. Uh, I don't think there's anything that I would like to change in CSS because I love CSS a lot. The entire CSS is based on the fact that you have to be creative if you want to create some kind of a good websites or good web pages. So I don't think so. There are something that I would like to change because the entire CSS, the developers, they designed CSS, they designed it very well. They created the language very well because it's, I think it's a unique kind of a language. And if you want to master it as you, if you want to master it, if you want to create some kind of a good websites, then you have to be a little bit of creative so that you can create some kind of good things using CSS. But yeah, it's a little tricky. It's like, for example, if we take an example of centering a particular element or centering a div, then there are eight or two, 10 tips or 10 points that we have to take care about. Like if you're using grid, then you, there are some other concept to center a div. If you're using inline elements, then there is other concept of centering a deeper element. So I guess the one thing I would like to add in the CSS is just a simple property of centering anything, maybe a center true, center property with the value true. And that's how we can center all the things. <laughs> Dynamically based on height and width of that element always will center the div. <laughs> I kind of like that. Okay. So an, an automatic center element. That's yes. an interesting addition to, exactly. to CSS. It'll have to do some like a, a bunch of calculations and stuff like that in the background. But I mean, we do we do that already with a lot of CSS properties. So make kind of makes sense, actually. What do you think about like mandatory mods? So they're not literally mandatory, but people will say they're mandatory. So, for example, I, there's some some people that will work with CSS that will say like, oh, you know, I, I don't use CSS unless, you know, SAS is there, for example. You know, what is your take? Is there any mandatory mods to CSS in your mind? Uh, not not to be honest. Like, to be honest, I haven't tried SAS and other preprocessors. I just write code in pure CSS. I love CSS. I love creating CSS arts. And I love writing CSS code only. I haven't touched any preprocessor and stuff. I use some frameworks like Bootstrap and Tailwind. But I haven't touched preprocessors. So I don't think that they are mandatory. But if you know, if you if you learn about them, it's a good part. It's a plus point we can say because, like, if you ever gonna apply for a job, I think pure CSS is not the skill they want. They want some kind of a preprocessor skills as well. So that's why if you have a decent knowledge about SAS and other stuff, it's a good thing that you have because it's it will make the job done for you. It will make the job easy for you if you ever gonna find a good job for you because CSS is not the requirement that companies are looking for nowadays. They they look for some kind of a preprocessor skills like SAS and other, and some kind of a frameworks like Tailwind Bootstrap. So that's why it's a good for company perspective. But if you're learning it for just for your, like for building community or selling your own products, then I guess CSS is good enough. Yeah. I think with like learning those preprocessors, if you have a good, a, a really good foundation with CSS, it's not going to be that difficult. Yes, they add a bunch of stuff like nesting and looping and stuff like that. Like they add stuff for sure. And there's, there are concepts to learn. But if you have a good base knowledge in CSS and if you understand programming, because I think they add a little bit more of a programming touch to CSS, you'll have an, Exactly. You'll, you'll have a good a good grasp on it anyway. So it, it's a good idea to kind of go into CSS first anyway, 
get that base knowledge and then move on to the preprocessors. But I've been hearing a lot about them recently, like a lot of companies, like you're saying, are kind of requiring them because it just makes standardizing products a little bit easier or even frameworks like Tailwind. That's been popping up a lot lately. But Tailwind in itself is kind of like an extent, not an extension, but a modification on CSS in the sense that it allows you to write it a little bit more efficiently in line. That's pretty much all it does with a few other features added onto it. But with that, you've kind of gone through this process of like, not master, let's let's move that word aside. You've went into full deep dive into CSS. And while you were doing that, you were making content, you were like, you know, interacting with the community on CSS. How did learning, how did doing that, like how did going through that process of like diving into CSS help you build that audience on Twitter? Okay, let's start from the beginning. Uh, I started Twitter around back in May 2020. I randomly post a web development related tweet on Twitter. Like at that point of time, I was learning web development. So I was doing 100 days of code. So I randomly posted a Twitter uh, and randomly posted a tweet on Twitter. And at that point of time, I was learning CSS. So I created a very simple rainbow using CSS and I posted it on Twitter. And that particular tweet, I think got over 1K likes. And at that point of time, I had only a few, maybe 10 or 20 followers only. So gaining thousand likes when you have only 10 or 20 followers it's a big deal so that's how it all begins because at that point of time i came to know that people want to see some kind of visual stuff from you some kind of a stuff so that they can visualize so that they can learn simultaneously and this is the thing where you can post content and the readers can copy paste your code directly into their local machine or some kind of online editor and they can visualize what they are doing so that's what building a community using CSS is easier as compared to building a community of other programming languages or stuff. But to be honest, I cover it 70% of CSS in my content. But I also try to cover some other web development related modules as well. So once I started posting content related to CSS, then I got many replies that, hey, Pratham post this post that so that's how i started creating content related to deep content related to css like a complete introduction to flagbox complete introduction to grid complete introduction to css positioning and stuff like that because here if you want to build a community then you have to listen to what your audience are saying what your audience are demanding you have to build trust so that's why i always try to push content on my community demand so whenever i got some kind of a d get some kind of a dm that hey pratham i want to learn box model i always try to uh, write content on box model and stuff like this so that's why building a community of css is little easier because it's all about visualizing stuff and comparing it with building a community for backend development then it would it would be more difficult because you can't visualize what you are doing at backend it's a boring stuff to be honest not boring i can say but if you if you're a beginner and anyone assign you a task that hey just create an API or maybe just create a, some kind of a backend application that you can easily board with it because you can't visualize what you are doing you're just writing code nothing else. But if you're doing some kind of front end stuff related to that you can visualize basically CSS then you will never gonna board because you can visualize 
simultaneously that what you are writing, what color you are using, what kind of a layout you are creating. So that's why these are all exciting stuff. And that's why I, I picked web development or more specifically CSS over other programming languages or other stuff. So building a community using front-end development is easier as compared to building a community using machine learning or back-end development. Yeah. I, I, you know what, I've, I've been noticing that as well, obviously, uh, visual content does great. And I would never have thought that like CSS is the kind of quote unquote cheat code to make it, to make it easier to build a community. First of all, CSS is a little bit complex to learn and master and all that. But second of all, uh, it just wasn't like, in my mind, it wasn't like the thing that people wanted to hear about initially. Until I saw your content, Pratham. Like when I saw your content and how mm. well it was doing, I was like, "Holy crap!" So you found that out early on, and I think like you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head there with with building a community and finding your niche. And you 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 managed to find it really really early on by posting that post with the rainbow and seeing that it did really well, and then following your gut, being like, "Hey, if I just keep doing that and keep expanding on it, that's gonna be the where I where I." kind of thrive that's the cross section that i was talking about between the thing that i want to do and the thing that the audience wants to see and that's always the toughest part to find right like you can't if you're a developer and you just you really like some random library right like some random library that shows you the time in perfect format whatever and you that's all you really like and you keep posting about it and you keep posting about it yeah you might get some traction yeah you might do okay but if you're not looking at the what what the interaction level is are people excited about it and you're just going to be stubbornly posting about it you're going to be hindered extensively you have to find that cross section and on the one hand it's kind of unfortunate because like you were saying Pratham there's not a lot of content about backend development because it's not it's interesting and it's awesome but it's not flashy and it's it's hard to show so that that's the kind of the pitfall of social media and something that I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around a little bit, just being completely upfront is like, how do we make content out there for, for stuff that's not super flashy and still make it super, still make it super interesting. So there, there, there is, there is something there, I think, but it's also a really difficult topic to, to grasp. So again, when you're making that decision, if you want to be a community manager, if you want to build a community, and we'll talk really quickly, uh, shortly about the benefits of that. But if you want to do that, then you're to listen to what Pratham's saying. He found that cross section. He found that thing that people wanted to see. And that's exciting because you can see the color immediately. You can see the, the changes that you're making and you can copy that code and see it, do it yourself and do some changes. And it's, it's building on that like interpersonal connection. Like you're, you're building that connection with people by doing that. So great, great advice there. And it's, it's interesting how you went into that. I didn't think it was going to be so immediate for you, Pradham. Like I thought, I thought you kind of went through and tried a bunch of different things on Twitter. And then landed on CSS, but it sounds like you kind of found CSS really early on and you just doubled down on it. But with that, uh, what's the, ne the next part, right? So you've, you've, um, you've built your audience. How has Twitter now, let's shift to Twitter a little bit. How has Twitter helped your career? Okay, so yeah, yeah I was saying that having a strong online presence is always beneficial like because that's how you can build a community and that's how you can tell other developers that you are also a developer and you are doing this kind of a stuff so the job that i got at rapid api to be honest 
I got just because I have a strong online presence. I can interact with the other communities and I can collect feedbacks from the other communities that what kind of a products or what kind of a things that they can expect from a particular company. So that's what a developer advocate basically do. And I got a lots of opportunities from Twitter, not just of this full-time opportunity. I got a lot of sponsored tweets, to be honest, and some kind of a freelancing project, some internships as well. So yes, having a strong online presence is, is a good thing that anyone can have if, if they are learning things simultaneously because then you can learn things and then you can monetize your skills along the way so that's how i did all this stuff when i was learning web development i started twitter and i started by posting my 100 days of content then i started posting about the deep stuff related to web development for example event loop in javascript hooks in java hooks in react and some other random content related to CSS. So that's how I build a community around a web development developers. And yes, there are a lot of recruiters out there on Twitter as well who can actively look at your profile and they want to hire you. And some of them noticed me as well. And that's why they offered me some freelancing opportunities and some full-time jobs as, as well. So, so yes, Twitter helped me a lot in my career. I'm just a 22 years old. I'm a fresher, zero years of software engineering experience at all. But I got this job and this is my first job. I'm learning a lot. I'm a junior developer there. So having a job just completing, just after completing your degree is a good thing because I just did my uh, engineering around two months ago and I joined Rapid API two months ago as well. So it's a good thing to have a great online presence and have a strong community. Yeah, fully, mm -hmm. fully agree, honestly, because what it allowed you to do was not only like maybe if you finished your engineering degree, you would have still got the job. It's possible, like not, maybe not the same job, but a job, but it wouldn't have been on your terms right now. What you were able to do by joining the community, by expanding your community, by growing so quickly, like you're, you're like an extreme case of that almost, but it, it helps for everyone. Like even if you're growing a little bit. Even if you're just present in the community, it's going to help you because you're going to get those connections. And when you're looking for work, yeah, it's not going to be the only thing they're going to look at, but it's going to open up your opportunities. And what I've seen personally and what I've seen from the, my friends that have like done this before is that not only were they able to land jobs, they were able to land the jobs that they wanted on their terms. That's the biggest difference that I've seen more than anything, whether it's because of their the fact that they were outspoken because of the fact that they grew or because they were able to they were able to be seen by more people like they were still doing the development work like you were still putting in a ton of work and learning all this web development stuff but mm -hmm. the side thing was that you were growing this massive community while doing that at the same exact time and now you were able to just choose a job essentially at that point which is amazing Yes, exactly. Like there are millions of developers out there, but only few few of them are active on social media platform. Not just on. I'm not talking about just Twitter. Only any other social media platform we can include. So you need to tell your skills. You need to show your skills to other developers, to other companies, some recruiters that you can do a particular stuff for them. So that's why having a strong online presence is 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 like a super cool thing you can ever have. Like you can get a decent amount of decent jobs. You can get decent software projects some freelancing projects and and if in case if you don't have
have a job you can just a tweet away or you can ju- you're just a post away that you are actively looking for a job and many companies will contact you for sure one of my friend did this on twitter and he got a decent job not just decent but a highly paid and great job exactly so like there's there's example the after benefit. example yeah yes exactly yeah so if you have the opportunity i would highly recommend joining following pratham following us even on twitter html everything prathams at prathcom uh and we're obviously going to have all that in the show notes now next thing here when did you start thinking about monetizing your audience so was your intention immediately that hey i'm going to join twitter i'm going to join social media i'm going to start building this audience and i'm going to make some money i'm going to you know get a job through it and stuff like that or was it more you know organically driven like the like this this massive amount of orders was totally unexpected for me when when i was started on twitter it, it was just a random day when i posted that particular tweet on twitter around 1.5 year ago i never thought that i could even monetize my skills as well i started posting random css stuff like handmade cheat sheet on twitter but many people then demand demand me that hey pratham why not you make an e- why don't you compile all of the all of your cheat sheet and make a ebook or post it on camera so one day i was just sitting i was thinking about some other stuff and i randomly clicked pictures of my all the cheat sheet i made a pdf and i posted it on gumroad and the fun fact about it that when i posted my css cheat sheet ebook i po- i posted it for just for zero dollars so it was completely free at that point of time but again as i mentioned early in the episode that you have to build the trust of your audience people trust me luckily fortunately and that's why they paid me for completely free ebook and later on i simply raised the amount to just one dollar not much and now i have two ebooks one is of course the css cheat sheet and the other one is how to build 100k audience in 12 months on twitter both are doing really well it was totally unexpected for me that even one day i could monetize my skills i could even write an ebook and sell it on on my online fr- friends fr- out there so yes like if you start on any other sh- any social media platform by thinking that you will eventually make some kind of a money from there then i think you will simply falls apart because then you can burns your burns you out you can overpush yourself but if you start on twitter or any other social media platform freely then it will become the more easier process in my opinion because then you don't have to think about much you just need to put content out there and one day eventually you will also make able to monetize your skills as well once you have a massive audience so yeah anyone can do this yeah i I like that you mentioned that your audience was the one that pushed you to do it like you weren't even thinking about it it was your audience that pushed you and i think that's the indicator that's the biggest thing i I, honestly problem i'm pretty sure i was one of the people that were like hey you should combine all these and make an ebook like i buy it because there was like (laughs) so much there was so much content that you were putting out there and with twitter it's a little bit difficult because you're putting it out and it's gone and it's yes it's you can go and scroll through your profile but like it's just easier if you have it all in one place. So it just made perfect sense for you to do that. And thankfully you did and it was successful. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, I think, again, that indicator of like, hey, my audience is asking for this. That's a crazy thought for a company. Like, let's say you're building a company and all of a sudden, instead of you selling to them, they're trying to buy from you. <laughs> 
Like that's that's the ideal. <laughs> and that's what you did on Twitter. And that's what, again, a lot of people that I've heard have done. And it's it's kind of a genius, a genius move because it's you're helping them and they're helping you. So it's it's a win win situation uh, with that, though. How have you been able to apply your learning or strategy so that you've learned all this stuff on Twitter to now your new job as a developer advocate in Rapid API? Well, like developer advocate, you have to do three basic stuff like code, community, and content. And I think I'm good in all three basic stuff. Like I have learned a lot in the past few years that how to interact with the communities, how to create authentic content so that other developers can reach out to us, can read your content. And I guess that's what a developer advocate do. Uh, all the developers advocate do the same kind of stuff. To be honest, like Rapid API is a developer-based company, so I need to write some kind of a code as well. But if you compare my job with other non-developer-based company, so I don't think so other developer advocates need to write some kind of a code because they have nothing to do with the code because they are not a developer-oriented company. But yes, again, like what I'm do doing at Twitter is writing code, then sharing that big picking that code as a content and then sharing it on Twitter, interacting with the community. So I'm, I think I'm covering three basic stuff like code, community and content on Twitter. And that's what Rapid API is expecting from me for doing them for their personal accounts or their company's account. Because every developer advocate doing the same kind of a thing, advocacy and development. Here you can, you need to interact with the communities. You need to try to collect some kind of feedback so that you can improve your internal products like what other developers are expecting from you. This kind of a stuff you need to cover in your developer advocate role. It's it's all about building a bridge. We can say it's all about building a bridge between engineering team, internal engineering team and the outer community. So you are kind of, we can say that you are like a face of your company. A developer advocate is a face of your company that can uh, handle the other communities and internal communities as well. So yeah, Twitter helped me a lot because I was doing three basic stuff that a developer advocate require. And that's why I got this full-time job in Rap at Rapid API as a developer advocate. Has it affected has it affected your uh, job in reverse? So you were saying that obviously you you know you you were doing a bunch of Twitter stuff. You did the ebooks, and then you got you landed this job. Has the job now also influenced your Twitter, like your per, your more personal content as well? Like has it improved it? Has it changed it at all? Or is it just an overall you know, growth experience with both of the with both the job and your own Twitter now? Like how is that working out? I think the thing is I'm enjoying what I'm doing at Rapid API and I think that's the thing that matters a lot. To be honest, like I'm working eight hours per day. Now I'm, I'm a full time there. So I don't have much enough time to create content from my personal account. But I always try to interact with the community and interact with the other developers from my personal account as well in between whenever I got some time, free time, like I'm doing right now currently on weekends as well. So yes, it. I don't think so it will gonna impact my personal growth because like working at Rapid API, I'm learning a lot that how to create authentic content, how to write a code and how to interact with the other communities because I think I'm the only junior developers at Rapid API. All the other developers and engineers are having 10 plus, maybe 15 plus years of experience. So I'm learning a lot between all, among all those people to be honest. So it's, it's kind of a good thing for me because I'm just 22, I'm improving a lot on my personal level as well. So yes, but yeah, in between, I always try to interact with the 
community or developers from my personal account. So it's it's a good thing that I'm I'm handling both these things simultaneously. And let's see how it goes. But currently, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. So that matters a lot. That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad that you kind of transitioned to that, and now you're going to be learning from all these amazing people, and still providing us, the audience, like with with your content that you sometimes provide. I think it's. I think it's like all about the goal. Like you, you know, you 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 got the job that is now going to advance your career, and your mm-hmm. your Twitter account's still growing. Like I saw you, you're almost at one hundred twenty thousand, so that's still going, and and you're doing this thing. So yeah, it's probably difficult to balance. I can imagine, but you're you're now kind of you got your goal. <laughs> you're you're able to support your family. <laughs> you're support support yourself. So that's that's what it's all about, and that's what I kind of try to say to other people is like you're going to be on there and you're going to be really active for a while. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit draining sometimes, especially if you're trying to build your own community, no matter what. But eventually you're going to get to a goal of some sorts and it's going to become more routine. It's going to become more, it's going to become more personable and you're going to achieve something with it to the point where you're not going to be as crazy with it. I know like for myself, I've been like for over the past couple of months, it's been a lot, like a lot of posting and stuff like that. Uh, and that's been a little bit of a burnout, but I can see that it's what is generating. And I know that there's an end goal of, you know, being able to establish ourselves and the podcast as something that is reputable in our, in our industry and be able to then generate an income through sponsorships and collaborations, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's all, it's all the, the end goal game and you can keep pushing that goal or moving it back, whatever you want. But again, it's not something that. It's not something that you need to totally worry about all the time. It's not something like you're not going to be full, full bore every single day of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but with that, Pratham, I really appreciate you coming on, taking your time. I know it's really late over there, so I want to let you go as early as we possibly can. So I'm going to f- give the floor to you. Do you have any any like self-plugs you want to say, like any projects you're working on or anything you want to post? Anything that you say here, we'll actually take any links and we'll post them in the show notes so people can find them. Uh, not really. I guess my Twitter link is good enough because many people are interacting with me there. So if you post my Twitter link, then I'm sure that many people will get in touch with me there. Perfect. So for sure, we'll post your Twitter link. And what 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 is the tag? What is your profile? It's Prathcom, right? P-R-A-T-H-K-U-M. Yeah, right. Yep. Perfect. Just, right. just so for the people that are listening out there that uh, aren't going to be going to the show notes, you can still find him. Again, it's Prathcom. Uh, he's the CSS king. Find him on Twitter and talk to him. He's a great guy, obviously, you've heard over the past hour. Uh, Matt, is there anything you want to add? No, I think that uh, that concludes. I just want to say uh, thanks for coming on, Pratham. It's uh, It's been really enlightening. I do a lot of CSS work myself, so a lot of great tips, a lot of great tidbits in there. And obviously, thanks for the the tips for us in the audience as well on the uh, on like the Twitter and the, the content space as well. well. I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. And uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of a revival, I guess, at least for this episode of the uh, what are we working on segment? Couldn't you remember the, the, the segment that we were that we were reviving? But anyway, uh, Mike, you go ahead because I don't know what I've been doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been all over the place, but yeah, for sure. Uh, so for me, I've actually been working on a JavaScript fundamentals with Svelte course. 
So what that's going to be is it's going to be a course that teaches you the basics of a JavaScript framework using Svelte as the framework that we're going to be using to teach. And the reason that I did that was because I had this experience where I was working with someone that's never really wrapped their head around a JavaScript framework before. And I tried to teach them Vue at one point and they, they were still having a little bit of trouble. And then all of a sudden we switched to Svelte and in a day, and I'm not even exaggerating, in a day, they were able to get the all the concepts that are the basic core concepts really down pretty quickly. Stuff like conditional rendering, template looping, uh, even a little bit of state management and routings, all that kind of stuff that is maybe a little bit complex with Vue and React, especially to someone that's just starting out, was really well explained and handled inside of Svelte. And not only that, once they understood it and once they kind of grasped the concept, they were able to then go back to like a Vue project that we were working on and understand a little bit better and then go in and know where to look, know how the documentation works and stuff like that, because now they were understanding what a framework actually does. I think that was the big key thing that they were missing is like they were working with jQuery and stuff like that beforehand. And that transition to a framework was a little bit, I would say turbulent for them because of the, you know, the, you know, document.get element by ID mentality that they had. And that's what I'm trying to emulate right now with the course is I want to, I want to target those people that, are just learning JavaScript, no JavaScript, no jQuery, and now want to take that next step into JavaScript frameworks, but are having a little bit of trouble or we just want a little bit of an extra boost. So I don't want to make this too long-winded. It's already long-winded. This course is going to be out in the next, I don't know, I would say at least a couple of weeks to a few weeks. And it's going to be on Udemy. We're going to have everything on our social media platform. So if you're interested Again, sign up for at HTML everything on Twitter. It's going to be on our at HTML things Instagram account. Like we're going to, you know, spread it around as much as we can. And we'll talk about it again in one of our upcoming episodes. But really, like I'm this is our first course. I'm really curious what everyone has to has to say on it. So just stay tuned, please, and let us give us any feedback we have that you have uh, when you do take it or if you do take it. Uh I mean, I have a very, I have a very less exciting uh, bit of um, what I've been doing. <laughs> if my tone doesn't already speak volumes, uh, we've I've released a client project, and then I've been working on some of the additional stuff that comes along with launch, like do, like touching up some you know final polishes and this and that, and what, what people have been finding, you know, little glitches or whatever here and there. And uh, then I've been working on this show, so. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, not as long-winded, uh, but uh, that's what I've, uh, that's what I've been doing. It's a I, long time coming, at least. So, I mean, it was a big launch, and that's that that it was good. That's I would it. say that that's still pretty interesting and exciting. Like la- launching the project, first of all, was the project that was long due for a launch, which is awesome that we finally launched it. Second of all, it was with Webflow, which was which is cool. That's kind of our new system that we're using for all of our, uh, I'd say, large to medium to large clients now, right? Well, um, we, yeah, it's like it's one of the options in the toolkit that we offer them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it was a pretty cool accomplishment. It's also it's also a pretty nice site. Um, I don't know if you want to mention what it is. Like, I I don't think there's any NDA or anything like that. I don't I don't actually know, so that's why I was just staying silent. Um, to be honest. But uh, as per the the usual, time to thank the uh our three dollar tier patrons. Remember, we are on Patreon. That's Patreon.com. Slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from LocalPath Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. 
Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from the web ha- from Tim from the web hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Pip Hashash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via at therithic. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.